Hello and welcome to our latest edition of the GRC and Cybersecurity Podcast. In today's episode, the leaders in Cyber and Risk Series, we have a very special guest, uh, Phil Lee. Hi, Phil. Can you first introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Phil Lee. I'm the Chief Privacy Officer at 10th Revolution Group. 10th Revolution Group are the global leaders in cloud talent solutions. That is staffing permanent and contract workers through our Frank Group brands in specific cloud technologies. Uh, it's creating talent through our Revlon brand and it's AWS optimization and consultancy through our Rebura brand. So I know you mentioned your role before, but what is your role? Can you give an overview of your role and then how you got into your company, the current company you're working at? So my role is Chief Privacy Officer. It combines both the Chief Information Security Officer role and the accountability for all data privacy matters. I was looking for a change towards the end of 2021, having worked predominantly for IT managed services organizations as either a CISO or a head of security and compliance type role. And the opportunity to come and join as chief privacy officer gave an extra dimension to uh, what I'd done historically. Yeah, so it was a nice change in terms of just I guess, adapting what you've been doing, learning a new set of skills. Continually growing, yeah. Okay, so what does a chief privacy officer role include? Chief information security officer role doesn't. As far as I've worked out to date, it's many of the same requirements. So whereas historically I might have had a responsibility for security assurance and security incident response, same dimensions in privacy. So are we doing the right things to ensure that we are uh, meeting all the privacy requirements as well as security requirements? When we have a privacy incident or privacy breach, how would we deal with that? And a lot of it is going to be similar processes to information security, but it's about making risk decisions in an area that I often need legal assistance with as opposed to technical assistance. And clearly there's a different set of metrics that I've not had to work with before. So there are a number of adjacent aspects, let's say, and it's nice to have an additional focus to the role. Yeah, it it sounds like, I know security is broad, but it's very broad in a similar space. I guess privacy is a lot broader and it can include technology and not technology. And there's, like you say, working with your legal department and other teams, it's just a much more broader spectrum that you're monitoring and helping the organisation. Yeah, indeed. And I couldn't do this without the support of the legal team where we've got someone who you know knows the privacy re- regulations and legislation across the world. And as we all know, that is a web to untangle, and especially in North America these days. Yeah, I mean, we cover North America, we cover Asia Pacific, um, and obviously UK and uh, the EEA. And yeah, there are differences within each of those territories that we need to make sure that we've got covered. So can you talk roughly about your company's size and stage building its information security function and obviously its privacy function so people can get a sense of where your organization's at? We're about 2,800 people right now, but that changes every day. We have a tracker on our corporate internet showing the total FTE headcount and it's growing rapidly across Europe, Middle East, Asia, North America and Asia Pacific. So there is a small, what I'd describe as security and privacy team. So the information security function, I am trying to build it up. I'm trying to make sure that it's the right size for the organization. As a a sales-focused business, most of those people sit within a sales function. 
and our central services team, which includes IT, includes privacy, includes HR, finance, clearly needs to have the right scale to be able to ensure that we provide the right focus for those sales teams. Fantastic. So again, probably learning a bit more about Chief Privacy Officer. So who do you report to in the organisation? So my boss is the Chief Information Officer. Mark sits on the board of 10th Revolution Group, but I also have a dotted line report into our Chief Legal Officer. Our Chief Legal Officer, David, is based in the US. But I like to think that everyone in my immediate boss's team and the CIOs is part of my team. So we are all one organisation, as well as I mentioned, the lawyer who focuses on privacy. I I like to think of them as being directly part of my organisation. But actually, right now, I only have two direct reports in my team. They've been with my company for longer than I have, but I'm trying to grow that. And I need to ensure that I grow my team through a talent acquisition programme. So interesting, because one of the people we spoke to recently, one of the things that they were talking about is, are you intending to build your team out? completely internally? Are you going to use some consultancy firms or providers to do it? What what kind of model do you think you're going to use to to build your team? I've always been a developer of people. I like to develop capability. So one of the things that we do here in the IT team is to grow people through the apprenticeship program. I'm looking at hiring a couple of apprentices in the next month or two to augment my team. But at the same time, we've got a number of third-party suppliers that we use who provide additional capability. So we have an organisation that works with us on a retainer basis to address security incidents. We've got an organisation that provides managed services for our IT management for a specific outsourced capability. But typically, our IT team is an internal function, and I think I want to get the right blend of using people with specific external capability, but also growing what we have in-house. I want to pick up on something you said really interesting there, because you always hear people saying, and then in cyber or in information security, getting young people into the industry is, well, really hard. I'd just like to say it's great to hear that you're looking at bringing people into the industry as apprentices and trying to develop them through, because... I mean, you're you're probably aware of it, but everyone's saying it's five to 10 years experience for most cyber information security roles. And there's a lot of people who are not going into this industry because it's very hard to get a foot in the door. I've been doing this since the turn of the century, which makes it sound like a very long time. Um, so I've got that experience and I want to share that experience with new talent. I don't expect people to know everything from day one. And I need to make sure that we get that right and don't set the expectations too high. There are things that people with limited experience can do, can help with, which means that people who have more experience can spend time doing the things that are actually of material value. So yeah, I I, want to give people that opportunity. I think they also had a different perspective, don't they? Because they're not done it the same way. I guess we've done it. And they'll look at it and they go, actually, could we apply a different perspective on this? Because they're just thinking about it in a completely different way because they don't have the 10 years of doing it in that way kind of experience. Yeah. Um, So what are the regular things you do as a leader? So what are the things that you do your team with your up management, downward management? Can you talk us a little bit through that? So I'm still quite new here. I joined on 1st of February 2022 and we're now just at the end of March. We have a quarterly 
financial reporting cycle and every quarter I have to present to the board on security and privacy. We had one of those at the end of the first quarter, which finished in February. And this is going to be the most important meeting that I have going forwards. I need to restructure that meeting and I need to focus that meeting to ensure that it's getting the right level of input for the board, uh, providing them with the information that they need and also getting the right decisions made at that meeting. Clearly, that isn't the only meeting uh, that I do, but I have a monthly data privacy working group where we have a more operational focus. Again, I'm looking to make that meeting a bit more meaningful so that we've got the right things being discussed at an operational level rather than at just a decision-making level. Beyond that, clearly, I'm starting to understand my team. The best way to understand them is through working with them, uh, but I want to make sure that we've got space in the diary for doing more formal development or review type activities. So at the moment, I've got weekly one-to-ones with my two team members. I'd like to turn that into fortnightly one-to-ones with a team meeting in between. So as the team grows in size, I can start to share messages across the team rather than individually with people, which will mean that I can then move the weekly one-to-one activity to fortnightly. But clearly, I started with an empty diary and two months in, uh, my diary is now, as it, as it always will be as a security leader, uh, pretty much solid throughout uh, with our top meetings, with things that need fixing, with things that need addressing. Those two items, the board meeting on a quarterly basis and the monthly uh, privacy working group are probably the focus meetings for, uh, for, for me as leader. Uh, one of the interesting things on the board meeting, I'm guessing that you want to kind of restructure that and kind of get meaningful like metrics and things that you can monitor. Is that the kind of things that you're looking to adapt for that meeting? I want to get meetings having the right metrics for the right audiences. I know that it's something that we don't do very well in this industry is understanding what good metrics look like. There needs to be something that you can take some action on. It's no use just presenting a bunch of data. Uh, There's got to be a a meaningful output. So I want to be giving the board things that they can take action on, whether that's making risk-based decisions uh, or whether it is understanding the challenges that exist within the organisation. And at the working group level, that's where having more operational metrics, but with some analysis of what those metrics actually mean, what are they telling us? What's the so what behind what we're presenting in that meeting? Yeah, it's kind of adding context to it and like saying, yes, there's how many vulnerabilities have had this number thing, but like, okay, what does that affect? How could that affect the business? So they can say, actually, how do we need to take action and remediate this problem? Or is it actually something that we're okay with and it's an acceptable level of risk? Yeah, and I, I don't want the board to trying to tell me that I've got something wrong in my figures. I shouldn't be asking them to verify a set of figures. They should be provided with the information that they need. We should be looking at the more operational activities. I've been employed to do a job. I'd like to think that um, I should get on and do that job and just share with the appropriate audiences the challenges that exist. I know you spoke a bit about this, but where do you spend your time most uh, currently? And what are the key priorities that you're focused on for probably, the, I guess, the next six months? Yeah, okay. So first 90 days is all about planning. And I came in with a expectation that I would review the organisation, view all of the policies that we have. And then this small political situation happened in Ukraine. I've spent quite a lot of my time doing some planning for uh, the situation in 
Ukraine. Uh, we are responding to a threat assessment on the situation. We get regular updates to that and clearly looking at how that affects us as a business, uh, how it affects our teams that we work with. I have business continuity within my remit and there is a element of what we do as a business and what we need to plan for as a business. So right at the top of my list of how I spend my time currently is Ukraine. But I would have been doing that activity anyway as part of the CISO's first 90 days. So it's just accelerated it and given it a little bit more focus with the people that I'm working with. I probably spend 30% of my day at the moment on privacy, data privacy, just simply because it's an area that I haven't focused on before. Uh, so I have some committed time with a uh, privacy lawyer every day so that we can review whatever comes up in the uh, data privacy stack. And I'm a massive believer in security awareness, in security communications, in security training. And I'm trying to pull together a program around awareness and training within the organization. It's just a little bit more slick and a little bit more interesting than the legacy training that we've been doing within the organization. It's a really interesting point that about training and awareness because people could be like, yeah, I've got the best policies in the world, but nobody knows them or they don't understand the why. And, and it's not about scaremongering. It is a little bit, but I think to be honest, they need to understand the implications and the impact on an organization and themselves. And the training should be focused on educating them on that rather than just saying, don't do this. And then just scaring them because but people, unless you explain to them why, they don't really understand the problem because they're just like, well, my life's easier if I do this. They don't really understand the impact of actually doing that thing that's outside of policy has an effect on them as an organization. Yeah, there's two things that I will pick up from that. Uh, the first thing is something that I learned 10 years ago, actually, which is what can you give people in a security awareness and training that doesn't just make them think about the job, but how it might affect their personal life, how it might affect their family, whatever. Whatever we do that helps people to understand security needs within an organization can easily be taken into you know, people's domestic situations as well. So that's the first thing. Second thing is obviously take people on a journey, give people a story, give people an understanding of what their actions could mean. Clearly, we are a recruitment business. We're a recruitment business, we're a training business, we're a consultancy business. We have an opportunity at the beginning of everyone's journey here to give them the training that they need for the work that they do. And I want to make sure that as part of that onboarding training, they also get the right security onboarding and data privacy onboarding. But it doesn't need to be just a one-time activity. It's got to be something that we come back to and it's got to be something that people do on an ongoing basis. So what are you doing the moment that's really working, Phil? Yeah, I'm new in the role. So if I'm new, then I don't really know what my people know yet, but they've made some clear expressions to me that they want to develop, that they want to do more technical stuff. So I think what's really working for me is developing my people, getting my feet under the table, understanding what knowledge gaps they've got, and at least identifying some things that they should be looking at. Uh, so across my team, there are two or three fundamental things that I want them to understand. Even if they're not going to be implementing technology, I, I like them to have a sort of fundamental understanding of what the technology is capable of doing. So as an example, um, we use Microsoft 365, we use all of the capabilities that go with that. And so if I can put them through the necessary education to understand what Microsoft 365 does and the security 
capabilities and the outputs that can come from that, then I'm not expecting them to operate that on a 24-7 basis, but at least they know what they can ask about and how they can get information out. So helping to share my knowledge with my team's capabilities is working. Building relationships across the business. So I've had good introductions from the CEO downwards through the board, through the uh, relevant regional management groups. And I'm very much a relationship-based person. If I want to change things, if I want to change a culture in an organization, if I want to change the security culture in an organization, you can only do that through gaining trust with people across the business that you are going to be you know, taking their issues seriously. Just this morning, I've been working on a uh, challenge relating to a new tool that someone wants to use. And I've got to be really clear with them why that tool may or may not be appropriate for, uh, for the work we want to do. And it's so much easier to do that on a face-to-face meeting or on a Teams type call than it is to just respond with a simple no on email. So building those relationships and getting the visibility across the organisation, I think that's what's really working for me at the moment. Yeah, and I think it is about building a partnership, isn't it, with your stakeholders, with your business, because ultimately they don't want to see you as a blocker to doing business, but they want to see you as an enabler and making sure you're doing it in the right way. And what you're saying there is hand in hand of that is actually taking them along the journey so they understand that look, we're not here to just say no. If we are saying no, we're advising you not to do that. It's for the right reasons. And we'll we'll help you understand the alternatives and what we can do. So it's not a, no, you can't do this. It's actually, you probably should do this one and we could help with these decisions. And the reasons are introduces X, Y, and Z. So they actually know why that decision has been made or why that recommendation has been made. And ultimately, I should know my area of interest and I should be able to provide an opinion on it. I'll try and make that opinion as commercially reasonable as practical. But my job is to identify risk. My job is to present risk and to give people the opportunity to understand what their risk tolerance is. What are the biggest challenges you have within your organisation? The Chief Privacy Officer role gives me the challenge of privacy items and security items. And one of my biggest challenges is to ensure that they both get equal priority in my day and in my team's day. And for me as well, one of my biggest challenges is getting a non-technical audience. So let's call them salespeople. Let's call them people who aren't technologists, people who aren't privacy specialists to understand why information security, cybersecurity, privacy is important to what they do. That will be a challenge for any CISO, for any chief privacy officer, is to understand that what we do is important, but we have to keep pursuing it. It's just about, I guess, like you said earlier, about training, making them aware, making sure they understand it, and and it's being in front of them all the time and just educating and building awareness within the organisation. It's engagement. Yeah, it's collaboration. It's all of the things that we need to do as leaders and anywhere else in the organisation, finding the advocates, finding the champions who can help you get the right level of communication, get the right audience. We have a number of sales-focused monthly meetings. And if I can use those sales-focused meetings to turn my messages into something that is better understood by the wider group, then I will do that. So in terms of your big ticket items, I know, like you said, you're 90 days in, but what are the big ticket items in your budget for this year that you want to be working on? Right. I've spent a 
fair amount of time reviewing the tools, the capabilities that we have in place at the moment. One of the capabilities that I'm sure on is manpower. We've got a apprenticeship program that I'm trying to deliver. What I've also tried to look at is the technical controls and the process controls that we have in place. I try and map them into predictive controls, preventive controls, and how we detect and respond. We've done a lot of historic work in the prevent space. So we've got a good selection of tools that provide uh, what I call preventative abilities. But there are other dimensions, and I need to make sure that we're investing in the right areas in those. So I suspect that the big ticket items I'll be looking at are things in the detect and respond space. So how do we understand when there is a security or privacy incident and how do we best respond? And some of that will be tooling, but some of it that I've mapped already is things like scenario planning. It's things like instant response, rehearsal activity, working out from our PR and comms team who we'd go to if we were in the middle of a security breach or crisis to ensure that we're not trying to make it up as we go along. Yeah, because the thing that's really interesting is that it's it's not just tooling, because I mean, everyone jumps to tooling as the first point, but it's also making sure you have the people processes behind and in place to support tooling. And like I say, there's a lot going on there, but like you're building out those three control areas and having that prevent, detect and respond is obviously important for any organization. So what are your biggest areas of concern for 2022? Well, it's always going to be ransomware. Ransomware is ransomware is huge. That ties into the Ukraine planning that I'm doing right now. But for me, I also have the privacy dimension. So addressing the requirements from Schrems 2, uh, addressing the recent changes from the UK Data Protection Authority, the ICO, and the IDTA or International Data Transfer Agreement changes. For me, there's a lot I still need to learn in the sort of privacy and privacy regulations. So my biggest areas of concern are, from a security perspective, ransomware, and from a privacy perspective, the ever-changing regulatory landscape. Yeah, I think I think the regulatory landscape is everyone's worried about. And I spoke to a lot of people recently, and I think given you work in North America and the pop-up of lots and lots of state uh, privacy requirements, which are all very slightly different, is scaring a lot of our customers because they're just like, I don't know how we keep on top of this. Is there anything on that that you start to look at of how you differentiate them? Is Have you taken approach to that? So in our slide uh, that we present in the security and privacy working group, we have a matrix of countries, of states within those countries, of the relevant regulations and legislation applicable across them. And all you can do is start in small chunks look at the ones where you've got the biggest impact so where the biggest bulk of your work is or the biggest potential regulatory fines are and start with those and then move down the list and you'll find that as you move into territories with slightly different requirements you may have covered those off elsewhere so don't try and do everything at once take a measured approach through the legislation and through the territories you operate fantastic so I know, obviously, for the last two years have been pretty challenging for a lot of people, for organizations themselves, for people adapting. What are the lessons you've learned from the last two years and how have you applied them going forward? I got some really good advice from previous boss of mine. I need to do less myself. I always try and solve a problem. I always try and get on top of something myself. That should be what my team is for. Obviously, for that to work, I need a bigger team. 
which is why I'm trying to build a apprenticeship program to develop people to grow the size of that team. But that's what I need to do is to make myself more strategic and less sleeves rolled up down in the weeds. So can you talk me through the skills that you look for that make a great information security or privacy professional? Probably a story around this. I've been doing this for over 20 years. I spent nine years of that at a large managed service provider. I joined initially as a principal security consultant, but ended up being a practice manager. I think that great security leaders need to understand more than just security. Good security people can become great leaders, but they need to understand the business. And that sounds easy, but I've got you know lots of experience of people that I've worked with or people that I've communicated with who, who perhaps don't actually really have a clear story of what the business does. So within a managed services provider, an IT managed services provider, for me, that meant understanding IT service delivery, program management, technical design authority, financial management, commercial management, etc., and being able to apply information security challenges to each of those disciplines. And by getting involved in those parts of the business, it really helps to understand that security perspective and to share those challenges. So the skills of what I think make a really good information security professional aren't just the security and technology disciplines, but it's having that slightly wider understanding of what makes the business work. Great insight. So I think one of the things I want to ask you is, and and again, I know you're new into the role, but how are you measured? What does success look like for you? If you were sitting here in 12 months, how would you say you've been measured and what does success look like? I've got some expectations of what I'll deliver in my first 90 days. They will be tracked according to an email trail with my boss. Uh, we haven't done a formal sort of paper-based object- objective setting session, but I know what he wants me to achieve. For me, success has probably got four main aspects to it. Visibility, so people who know what security or privacy in my case, people who know who we are, how to find us within the organisation, and engagement that kind of lines up with visibility, how to contact us and when to get engaged, what it is that they need to involve security and privacy in. Success also involves maturity. So I don't want to make everything a process, but a process is an easy way of understanding how mature your activities are. So well-executed, well-written processes, don't have to be long, but just an understanding of what that process does, what its purpose is, how it's supported by metrics and tooling, and how it's under continual improvement. So what the plans are for maturing in the future. So I've covered visibility, I've covered engagement, I've covered maturity. Success also for me involves leadership. And that's not just my leadership, but what a top-down security culture from the very head of the organisation looks like. And have I been able to drive that security culture from the CEO downwards? Great things there. So one of the other things then is like tooling. I know that you've got some existing tooling, you're looking at some tools. So what tools are you currently using and what do you find valuable about them? I've mentioned Microsoft Office 365, where we have a Microsoft Office 365 tenant. I think 99% of the people watching this uh, podcast would be in the same state. I came across one individual recently where they can't do anything with Microsoft, but apart from them, it's a tool that 99% of businesses will be using. Fundamentally, it's so much more than just a uh, workplace productivity tool. It's so feature-rich. It has so much ability to be able to do tracking of 
data loss type activity, identity and access management. A lot of that is driven from the Microsoft and the Azure Active Directory suite. So if I had one tool, which I have to call out that's particularly valuable, it's going to be Microsoft Office. We use a first-tier provider for our web gateway, for our email gateway. I would describe that as baseline tooling. 20 years ago, you know, a web gateway might have been a proxy. These days, it's so much richer. Uh, We've become so much better at using these capabilities, these technologies over the last 20 years. Something that we are using as a business is a vulnerability assessment tool that isn't one of the first-tier vendors. It's taken some time for me to get used to. But it's because of the size of the organization and what we do. It meets our needs. It supports our processes. It supports what we need to do in terms of vulnerability management. And we use Salesforce as our CRM platform. Uh, Again, Salesforce gives us the ability to drive some of the data privacy, some of the behaviors that we want our teams to use. So what I've called out by name there are security tools, but they're almost a line of business tools and getting the security and the privacy controls right within those is as important as spending money on special security tooling with the gorgeous flashing blue lights and all of the you know artificial intelligence. That's great, but fundamentally, it's the capabilities of the line of business tools that I find particularly valuable in supporting my role. Because I guess that's where you want, they're the things that people are using day to day. You want to make sure that they're set up correctly and you're reducing the risk in, I guess, those critical business applications. Fantastic. So we're coming towards the end. So I've got two more questions for you. So if you could have one wish and could solve any security problem, what would it be? It's more people, more hours in the day. It's just more resource. And I think any security leader would likely say the same. There's so much we need to do just to keep the lights on. And if we want to improve, if we want to not just be constantly flogging the same tickets as business as usual, uh, we need more capability to be able to drive more projects and more continuing improvement. And when you talk about people, do you mean just general people or even just access to talent as well? I think it's access to talent. I would love to have a team of security architects. I'd love to have a team of business analysts who can help drive stuff along. But I don't think that's realistic uh, for every organization to have that capability. So sometimes you're going to have to rely on third parties to provide that additional support. Thank you for your time, Phil. Really appreciate it. Uh, It was great insight you've given us there. My pleasure. I'm always happy to talk about the role that I've been doing and hopefully it's of some use to you and to your audience. Fantastic. Thank you.